Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. This is Adam Ducker. I am the Chief Executive Officer of RC Elco, Real Estate Advisors. And if you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RC Elco has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, public sector, and non-real estate company seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment, planning, and development. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the latest episode of our podcast, Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. And one of the joys of RCLCO is that we get to work with not just thought leaders and industry leaders like Carlos Hernandez, Chief Executive Officer of Palace Development, who's with me today, but also people that are close and loyal clients and truly friends, people that we relish spending time with and, and often say that we get as much out of the relationship as we hope they get from the consulting relationship with RCLCO. So, Carlos, it's nice to have you. Thank you very much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be with you here. And uh, and as you say, it's, it's exactly right. Uh, you develop these relationships over the time and beyond the technical and, and professional and expertise and advice, it's always the camaraderie and the amount of time you have to spend together uh, when we're traveling to remote locales, especially in my case, and we'll get to that in a minute, but enjoying the, the conversations, the experience, it's always it's like uh, being among friends. So the feeling is, is mutual. Well, let me do a little bit of an introduction. So Carlos is an international real estate professional, originally from Mexico, although now working in Central America, and we'll talk about that today, and has really been involved in some of the most unique and award-winning luxury hospitality, golf resorts, but also urban mixed-use communities throughout the region. One of those communities, Santa Maria Golf and Country Club, we've had the chance to work on it together, Carlos, since she's probably for 15 years. It's a thousand acre master planned neighborhood in Panama, but but really it's a new part of the city with high rise to single family development, you know, large commercial, a whole host of recreational amenities. So we'll talk about that some. Guacalito, really one of the, the most interesting kind of mixed use resorts, a luxury hotel called Bakul Residential located in Nicaragua. And a project that we were talking about just last week, Costa Elena, a large master plan community on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica, which is interesting because in addition to the residential to commercial, it's everything from workforce, housing to, you know, ultra luxury second home and everything in between. So Carlos's career has been exemplary, touching some of the most exciting projects in the region working across countries. And really, I think it's not too much to say helping, you know, really shepherd this evolution in, you know, the region's real estate development industry kind of over the last several decades. So truly one of the best minds in real estate. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for the introduction. 
you know, just because it's top of people's minds and, you know, many people may not know how has COVID unfolded in the region over the last six months? We know it was hit very hard last spring and last summer. What's the latest? Well, you know, we, it, it hit as hard as in any other other places, although with different type of results, depending on the country you're talking about. I'm currently sitting in, in San Jose, in my office in San Jose, Costa Rica, and Costa Rica in general. I think did a pretty good job overall. It's a country with a sophisticated and at least very well-developed social security system and public health system over the years. And I guess uh, it paid off. I mean, nobody ever thought of uh, having a robust public health system for pandemics, but they do have one. And it paid off generously having one because I think the country never fell out of control. I mean, there was a moment back in November after Thanksgiving, same as in the U.S., where things started to pick up, but it never really reached the point of saturation. Hospitals were always uh, with available beds and have remained so. I think that in Costa Rica, feels like uh, an overall sense of, of things not falling out of control. So little by little since last November, uh, hotels uh, have been opening up. The border has been opened up again. Much less restrictions for, for travelers. In Panama, on the other hand, there was a moment where the spread of the virus became very, very viral, very aggressive. And the government instituted very, very strict quarantines and have continued to do so. So we have not heard that well there and, uh, and numbers in our hotel. I mean, we have this large master plan mixed use in partnership with other important groups of Panama. And, and the hotel there has been open since now. It's a, it's a luxury collection, but it's been very tough in terms of tourism. Costa Rica, on the other hand, starts to feel a pickup of travelers. It's not near where we were in 2019 because I think Adam, that for all practical purposes, you can consider the region of Central America as a flight to destination. We're not islands, but for purpose of the market, you can consider us like an island. Our domestic economies are not big enough to sustain hotels and all that. So it still it feels like a, a way to go before we can get the traffic we need and the tourism we need, but it's getting slowly better. And then Nicaragua, which is also fair, not that well in terms of international traveling, but somehow has to stay also within a certain parameters of public health organization, not, not so bad. So we're little by little starting to see maybe more hope towards 2021, probably better days ahead in 2022. Yeah. And, you know, while we're talking about the resort market, we're actually doing a fair amount of work in Mexico at the moment. And that market, I think, has come back surprisingly strong or maybe surprisingly soon. Again, looking at the hospitality segments and, and even some of the second home markets, is that your, your sense? Well, Mexico has very, very strong fundamentals that are worth mentioning. One, one is that it never closed. Mexico never closed the airline traffic. Whether that was a, a good decision or a bad decision by the government is left to be seen. But nevertheless, the decision for, from the government was never to close, and that kept the borders open. So there was never really a full closure of tourism. The other thing that is a fundamental thing for Mexico is that it's quite a large domestic market. It's 120 million people. So if you close the borders and nobody's flying in, or there's a difficulty flying into Mexico, well, the same difficulties for Mexicans 
to fly out of Mexico. So whatever plans we had to get out of the cities and go to have some recreational time in the beach, that is a strong fundamental there that not necessarily, you don't have that necessarily in island destinations or remote small countries like Central America. And then the other thing that has always fascinated me, Adam, is that there's certain parts of Mexico that for whatever reason are considered not Mexico. Frankly, I was watching a presentation and they were uh, talking er in the middle of the pandemic. They they were talking about, well, we can see clearly that leisure is going to probably come back first prior to business or other type of traveling, which makes sense. Drive to destinations before rather than flight to destinations, which also is kind of logical, makes sense. It's, It's happening. We're seeing that in many destinations in the States. And then they say, and then slowly, maybe regional leisure, right? Meaning not more than two hours and not international traveling. And then they say, Hamptons and Napa Valley probably coming back first with Florida. And then eventually you fly to Colorado and the Rockies or Vegas or Cabo. And I surprised me. It says, no, but Cabo is an international flight. It's in Mexico. But for whatever reason, the market considers Cabo a regional market of the U.S., which is interesting and is good for Mexico. That is interesting. How have the primary housing markets held up in the region? Maybe Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama. Well, there's different fundamentals for each country in the primary residential. But in general, in general, we went from a decade of expansion, uh, which is probably not and if you're not familiar with Central America, your people listening to your podcast is not familiar with Central America. Central America benefited uh, between 2000, I will say between 2000, uh, between the year 2000, year uh, 2020, or before that, 2018, it benefited for, from a long time of social conflicts that have passed away, that it left behind the past of, political instability, of inflation, all this allure of the crisis of the 80s, the Cold War, the inflation, entrenched governments, you know, all the things that most of us remember when you, you talk to somebody about Panama, they say, oh, Noriega, right? If you talk to somebody about Nicaragua, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, and Sandinista, the Contra, Oliver North. But in general, the, the region benefited of, a, of, of, of really not being, of leaving that past behind. It has not been a, 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 a conflict region, especially Panama and Costa Rica and, and, and Nicaragua, frankly, the same, uh, because of it became a peaceful region since the end of the 80s, in the 90s. And then, then shortly after that, it, it benefited from an expansion period. And we were, so there was a lot of uh, activity. There was an, uh, a frank, uh, trend towards urbanization. Uh, so there was uh, a lot of replacement of all, all, all urban infrastructure. So new neighborhoods, new buildings like Costa del Este in Panama, new districts. Uh, so, so we were having, and then we bet all these countries rely heavily on commodities. It's uh, most of these economies are, are export driven with uh, agricultural, like the industry. Uh, and we we had we we went through this period of expansion of commodity prices and prosperity. So you could feel the prosperity. Lots of projects in Panama, lots of projects in in Costa Rica, 
access to uh, to I would say affordable financing from the banks. So we there was a lot of activity. I I will say that since 2018, you can start feeling uh, a ralentization of these trends. Like it's, a, it's it's like we you know real estate is cyclical and you know that and you you repeat that to your clients all the time in the analysis you do. Well, we I think we hit that peak and, and then we went through the through the normal period where there's a, just a, a lot of inventory. Not so much uh, economic growth anymore. Uh, uh, the prices of commodities worldwide feeling feeling compressed. Uh, each country with its own set of, uh, of of also individual challenges. In Costa Rica, uh, the public deficit of the government itself—it's a big big bureaucratic apparatus that is becoming more and more expensive to run. It's making uh, economic those economic conditions in Costa Rica tough. Panama which has the most promising economy and continues to have the most promising economy, well, stopped growing at almost two digits and, and kept growing, but more modestly with plenty of, of inventory and robust uh, availability of units in the last year. So now so the, 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 the markets are not absorbing. So we are, we're already in this slowdown of things. And Nicaragua... Uh, also uh, going through its own challenges, but in terms more of, of political stability, elections, uh, etc. So we were already in a slowdown period, kind of in the in the in the bottom cycle or getting closer to the bottom of the cycle before the pandemic. And the pandemic hit when the pandemic hit. I think it only exacerbated these these trends. And for a moment last year. Uh, the markets in in primary re- real estate residential in Panama in in the three countries I I, I work with with Pelas Development felt uh, completely stopped completely stopped. Then, but then something interesting happened Alan. in the uh, in the middle of the year, right into the summer, a couple of months after the pandemic started in full. Uh, the activity started up again, but it started in the in the luxury segment and in the single family residence, not in the uh, high rise or condominium, which there's a lot in Panama. And uh, and it started also in the luxury real estate outside of the cities in the what used to be second homes. So so you started to have a. a at the effect where deep into the pandemic, once the, the dust got settled and we knew what we were into and how, for long, how long we were going to be into, I think my my take on this is that people reassess personally their personal spaces and and at least those segments of the market that uh, that have the means uh, to make a choice started making a choice where with their wallet and voting for more space instead of an apartment, house, garden, and maybe master plan committees in the beach since we're going to be connected from Zoom rather than in a, in a condo in the city. And, and we started to see activity again, at least in Panama and, and, and Costa Rica, but, but in those markets is where you, you can see more robust. Right. Interesting. You know, just to maybe set the, the stage for, for anybody listening that doesn't know the region as well, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, the markets where you're most active, you know, they're countries of 
you know, five, six, seven million people, right? So they're relatively small, but they've had this, this very, very strong growth, all of them. And, and by the way, really Mexico to Colombia, that's been a growth rate that's much higher than the United States. And one of the things that's been so interesting about working in these markets is, you know, in some ways, like a housing industry or a modern contemporary professional housing industry is being invented. You know, commercial real estate markets are emerging, like the transformation from, you know, kind of like village shopping to like shopping centers and, you know, the emergence of an office sector. So over the last decade, it's been just just transformational to see like not just more building, but the but the birth of of an injury. We say like in the United States, right, where we're largely focused on dealing with obsolescence and replacing with better buildings. And in the region, we're sort of doing these things for the first time. For the first time. That, that's why in many cases, developing in the region is, uh, is challenging because it involves green development. There's very, uh, it's very, there's very little re- rehab or regenerate, re- repurpose of, of real estate because there's, there was just none. No, uh, there was, uh, in the modern sense of what you will think is a is a modern a commercial real estate asset or a modern uh, A plus type office buildings, these are all really new for the standards of our industry. This is all fairly new development, all the way from Guatemala to to Panama. There lies the difficult the difficulties of, of, of working in the region because green development is, is, is riskier in many times. It's time consuming, depending which country you're working on. And we have learned a, a fair deal of that ourselves. What uh, is promising and has so much potential because everything is uh, is left to be done. So there's, there's tons of room for innovation. In mixed-use development, in uh, innovation in all the in all the facets of real estate. I mean, there's innovation from the typology, like designers and architects and developers are working in new in new in new ways of of, of, of working and creating spaces like uh, like like Portafolio Inmobiliario does in in Costa Rica with the Avenida Escazú, which is a great innovation in mixed-use. It almost feels like a commercial. It's, a, it's, a, it's rather a street mixed use rather than a closed mall, but also innovation in how you how you finance these deals and and um, recent creation of the fibras and the secades in Mexico. Uh, we're starting to have the safis in in Costa Rica, which is kind of like reeds or figures similar to reeds. So we are evolving in that regard from from. From all mom and pop ownership of you know where the building X belonged to to the widow of Mr. Hernandez and has been in here forever and she won't sell because she won't sell and we're evolving into into a real estate market that is more similar to more 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 complex like the capital markets and real estate markets of the of the more developed countries. So it's getting interesting and in, in the other area where I'm very active and I've been very active in the last 15 years is in the area of, of, of tourism and hospitality. And I always work in the, in the intersection of hospitality with real estate and, and uh, mostly in luxury. And, uh, and, 
And luxury is a tremendous opportunity for the region. And I've been saying that since we developed Mukul in Nicaragua, which I will dare to say that until today, in the, at the beach, is probably the most luxurious uh, concept. And it's not luxurious because of materiality. It's not, it's not a palace with marble. It's just luxurious in what the, the new luxury means. It's very experiential. It's like living the experience of a emerging or exotic destination, hard to get to through the eyes of a local family with heritage, with tradition, with history, which is the, the Mr. Carlos Tela's family and history through their production of their, of their rum, which is a fantastic brand, the vision of Carlos in creating this place, of Carlos Pelas himself, which links to the story of the country. And, and there's a tremendous opportunity there, tons of things to be done yet. I mean, until we developed Bukul, the only other truly high, truly luxury offering was the first four seasons Papagayo. But, the, but, it, but imagine in a region of 60 million people from Guatemala to Panama with jungles and, and archaeological sites and diving sites and rainforest and fauna, uh, that's nothing. And luxury to me means uh, the ability to open the region to sophisticated travelers that will not uh, overload the natural beauty of the place. You don't, you're not putting your bed in mass tourism, but has the most impact in local communities, uh, in remote villages, in a positive way. I don't like to sound elitist, but over all these years working in what I do, uh, luxury for the sake of luxury makes no sense, but luxury for the sake of doing not too much damage, rather conservate as much, but bring as much uh, influential people that can truly make a change, spend good, smart dollars and, and creating uh, uh, the connections, commercial connections that will bring prosperity to, to local villages and local towns. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And, and it's, I think uh, you're going to see much more of that in the, in the, in the coming years here in, in Central America. It has a lot of potential. I will agree. It's a Makul is a terrific experience. M A K U L for people who want to take a look at it is, um, and I think you hit the nail on the head, right? It both feels timeless and elegant and contemporary, but very much rooted in the culture and and you know environment of the place. Very much so. Maybe take a step to take a step back. So you grew up in Mexico. Remind me which part of the country. I grew up in Mexico City. I grew up in Mexico City, uh, was born and raised there. I studied civil engineer, uh, not knowing much. I mean, really, it was an accident, by accident, that I, I, I became interested in real estate. I, I had, by, back then, I had, not even, I had not even the idea that real estate could be a, a career or a thing to do. So uh, being close to... to Adult figures in the construction industry, uh, people that I admire, I say, well, I guess I have to be a civil engineer, uh, which I, I, I think um, I'm not, I, I, I discovered soon that that was not really, really my true call. I have always been a frustrated architect because I have this creative side of my brain and I really like architecture and design. Uh, but Frankly, what made me turn or the, the turning point in that 
in that part of my life in Mexico City growing up was when I started working in as a construction junior construction manager with a company that got involved with Hal Tanish in the development of Ventanas al Paraíso in Los Cabos. And Hal Tanish was, uh, became a very influential figure. And I saw him working with, a, with very talented people like Nuncio from HKS, Nuncio de Santis, another design, Paul Dusing. And they built this place in Cabo that really shattered whatever it is that we thought luxury could be in Cabo. I mean, before Ventanas, you thought of Mexico for your spring break, your vacation, your fishing with your boys' vacation, your tequila, margarita, mariachi, but you never thought of it for, for your ultra-luxury uh, $1,000 repar location. And, and Ventanas did that. Ventanas changed the paradigm of, of what uh, luxury hospitality product could, could be and in which country it could be. And uh, it was a tremendous opportunity to just be close to health and those guys, very talented. And from that moment, I, I figured out, no, you know, I don't want to be the builder of, 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 of or the construction manager of this place. I, I want to be them. I want to, how do you do that? How do you think when you sit on a side, what goes in there? And then uh, still in my construction management, with my construction management hat, cross paths again with a, with a super visionary a gentleman from South Africa called, uh, named Saul Kessner, who did Atlantis. And whoa, that, that was, I mean, that, he was a larger than life figure. And, uh, uh, and I got there, sent there to, with a bunch of other 1,000 people to work in Paradise Island, 1,000 engineers and architects. And I was just one of the, one of the crew, uh, but just watching him and watching what he created said it, that that became my my north and said no this is this is what i like i like this is where creativity construction civil engineering architecture and all these science intersect with the with the liberty of of, of creativity and just think possibilities right but, and and that was the biggest lesson that's why when years later i got a uh, met with carlos pelas and got a call and said hey my vision is to create a legacy and create a tourist destination out of my country, which is Nicaragua, and uh, which sounded as, as exotic as it may sound to your listeners right now, like Nicaragua. Uh, that's why I jump on the opportunity because uh, because this is what real estate development is, is about possibilities, right? It's not only building out of a blueprint. There's no blueprints in real estate development. And that's the beauty. That's, well, that's my passion. That's what I like. And we created uh, Mukul. And again, Mukul is luxurious, but not for the sake of being a luxury place. Not, it's not for the sake of creating a, 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 a gated enclave of privilege. It's luxurious because it's not meant for a mass market. It was the, the, the genius of this vision was if you're Nicaragua and you want to put Nicaragua on the map, and you, you don't need to put 100 rooms that you're not going to be able to fill them because there's no airlift and no one's flying. You need to appeal to the very, very sophisticated traveler that will take many connections or flight into, with a private plane or to go to the most remote corners of the world and, and, and for the true appreciation of what there is in there. No, no, need, for, no need for water slides and... And, and glitz and, 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 and lights and chandeliers. It's like uh, 
it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, what I believe today is very, is the true essence of real luxury. It's like it's experiential in, in its core, uh, textural, and uh, uh, real, frankly. You know, one thing that's interesting about the region and different than North America, right, is like Carlos, a lot of our, the legacy of a lot of our clients is in industrials. And, um, you know, real estate is a new industry. And that just makes for a very different perspective. It is. And you can tell that the, there's a lot of innovation happening in a lot of, in, in a number of ways. Uh, and I, I, frankly, I've been, I've been part of that, of that transformation and I have that, that privilege and I have seen it. I've seen the uh, Central American real estate groups, uh, how, how creative they are and successful. And, and, and you can see, I mean, from 15 years to today, uh, seeing the importance of design, for instance, little by little, more and more. Uh, real estate developers that that in the region that consider design a key component, which uh, may sound surprising, but it's not. I mean, it was until recently, maybe it was just a necessary evil or something that you pay, but reluctantly because it's not tangible. But uh, rather, I'd rather build something with my cousin that is uh, that has a construction company. He can build something fast, and it was there was really not an understanding of why. Where was the value of bringing all these guys from 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 land planning firms to architectural firms? Uh, the, the innovations in in how sophisticated the capital markets are becoming, although we're not there completely yet because of we're small uh, compared to Mexico and Brazil, so maybe still a little bit under or off the radar of bigger players. Uh, but it's, it has evolved, and there's there's an evolution for quality that you that is that is evident in in a lot of places. Um, quality in planning, quality in land use, quality in architecture, uh, quality in 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 the overall office, uh, offering and experience of what people buys and where people live and where people go to play or work. Right? The other thing that I think is interesting about the region. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I really only have two markets outside the United States where I have a lot of experience in Central America and in, and in some of the Middle Eastern markets. And in the Middle Eastern markets, it's like they, they picked up a piece of the European development industry and they put it down in, you know, the Emirates and other places. And the, 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 the industry in Costa Rica, Panama, Nicaragua is very much locally grown, local companies, local talent local um you know people that are that are from the region running running the real estate companies yes with very with very few ex exceptions maybe maybe uh, in the tourism related real estate maybe because uh it's, it's easy and it's more it attracts foreign brands and the foreign brands bring foreign players you know like so four seasons with a foreign investor because it's four seasons right so Maybe, but in general, you're right, Adam. In general, you're right. Your appreciation is right. I think it's been, uh, and and it has to be because because they, these economies are not big. So so the mis a big mistake will be to consider the uh, coming into countries like Panama or Costa Rica or and and assuming that you can just deploy 
quickly and fast and maximizing, you know, yield on the land. Also, and that approach not necessarily is the is the right one because we're these these economies are still very more much organic. You depend very much on on the size of the capital markets. If there's no capital markets, uh, then you depend on the size of the local family offices and investors, local banking industry, which is sophisticated. It is sophisticated, but it's local, right? It's not, you're not tapping into, into big uh, global banks and, and, and hedge funds and all that. And in that regard, I think it's, it's, it's good. It's, it has allowed the markets to evolve and create a good ecosystem of, uh, of construction companies, of architecture firms, uh, that frankly is very sophisticated. It's, it's very so, and it's becoming more and more sophisticated, which is good for everybody and for the industry. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this that you know there's always sort of a steady uptick in you know global or international capital coming to the region, but it hasn't been it hasn't changed dramatically or overnight and. And that will that will continue to evolve, but it's but it's still early. It's still early. It's still early, and uh, and I think there lies a tremendous opportunity for for I think uh, in many sectors in in depending where you are, but Costa Rica and Panama, Costa Rica is evident that uh, that is in the is in the in the threshold of becoming a truly. A leader in, in in tourism, the airport infrastructure is fantastic. The connectivity has been growing, so I'm, I'm just going to make an exception out of the COVID year, right? Because it's a, it's an anomaly. But if you if you think of it as an anomaly, you you can see the trends, and it was already getting there slowly but surely, and uh, so it it holds tremendous uh, opportunity also. Panama in logistics and a banking as a banking hub, and the airport and the connectivity. Well, maybe to cover one more topic, I think Santa Maria is such an interesting case study for people who don't know the region. By the way, we we call it a master plan community. There's a a gate and a golf course, but it's not like a master plan community that anybody has seen in the states in terms of the intensity of development and the verticality and the the mix of uses. What? How does what exists on the ground today compare to the original vision? Well, it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly uh, loyal or true to the vision. I mean, if you go 15 years back and you look at the master plan, it's exactly the same master plan. It's exactly the same. What happened is that it's it's Santa Maria is very innovative in that. It was never attempted to master plan such a large portion of land within the city of Panama. This is the thousand acres right smack in the city. So, so it's a private enterprise of several investors providing forward thinking and, and, and world-class planning and vision into, a, into what otherwise would have been a big, a big chunk of city. So, it's a, it's a, the pre the previous example of that that it was also truly innovative and it, it was developed by our by our partners the Mota Group was Costa del Este but the difference between Costa del Este and Santa Maria is that in this case Santa Maria incorporated much modern planning thoughts and much more heavily recreational uses so it's anchored 
by a golf course and a fantastic uh, country and athletic club and a beautiful hotel called the Santa Maria, which is a luxury collection. Well, then after that, it's, it's truly a piece of the city. It has a business district with uh, corporate offices, and then it has a residential district with single-family homes. And then it has these other areas on the fringes that are residential high-rides, which is a typical uh, land-use pattern in, in Panama because although it may look like you have a lot of land in, in, that, in, in that country, the reality is that Panama City has always been constrained by, by on three dimensions, right? They're constrained by the canal on one side, by the ocean on another, and by the canal protect, uh, protected uh, rain shed area in the other. They have to, there's a big chunk of rainforest that you have, have to protect in order to keep the, the water uh, annual rainfall on the canal patterns more or less uh, stable. So at the end of the day, it's a little Manhattan in condition. There's only so much land, and that explains the verticality of Panama, which is is, is a very, very surprising thing when you arrive for the first time to, to, to the country, or if you're not familiar with the region. You arrive to Panama, and contrary to all other uh, Latin American capital, uh, which tend to be more horizontal, there was always much more land. We're late into urbanization compared to uh, northern uh, cities, Panama looks like a, it's an amazing vertical metropolis. And that's that's a, that's explanation. So the real innovation in Santa Maria and the beauty of Santa Maria is that although you're in this very dense, intense city, it managed to create a lot of value by not developing all of it. So by, by incorporating uses that force the project to have plenty of open space. And, uh, and that, uh, that was the innovation by itself. That's, that's what has, uh, but by not using the entire extent of the land, so a little bit of a less is more approach, which is not, it was not typical back then, and it's not still not that typical in real estate uh, formulas. Uh, we have created one of the, I, I would say, the most desirable neighborhood in the in the city of Panama. So if there's one, if if, you, if people are not moving to to Santa Maria, it's because they cannot sell it fast enough where they are to move to Santa Maria. It has become that desirable. And the and and the fascinating lesson learned, I will say, or another fascinating lesson learned for me and everybody involved and is that quality matters. And we know that, no? We, we instinctively know, you know, it's gonna pay off if you really do good planning and you bring a quality practitioner and good designers. And a, But we, you never really, sometimes you never really get to test your thesis, right? Say, does it really matter? Is I'm really getting the return on the dollars I invest in all this global team of, of advisors, et cetera. But you see in Panama, during the pandemic, when all the real estate activity became, I mean, halted to zero, there was very little volume of sales. And any volume of sales that was happening was happening in Santa Maria. So the one place where people start buying homes was Santa Maria. To me, that's a testament of, of, of what we're saying. It's like uh, quality, quality matters, less is more. 
I mean, responsible land uses. I mean, all, all of this is, is, is really relevant. Well, maybe that's a good place to end our conversation. I, by the way, I think it's such a good story, right? Because in some ways, Santa Maria was started kind of looking at an American model. And today, I think Santa Maria is a model that I hope American master plan community developers will study. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it took the model and reinvented it. And maybe now it, it's a model for um, for other markets. Exactly. Well, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting because you take the good practices of other markets. It's the best way to learn real estate. So real estate, you have to take the time to see as much as you can compare other projects. But I also think that the value or the, 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 the act of talent on these projects with, with Pella's Development Group, what we're pride of is that we, we put the boots on the ground and we, don't, we really make the projects uh, uh, strategic to its context. I mean, we're not developing formulas. We're not, we're not fast. I mean, we're not a fast gone you know, or fast on the, on the gone type of developer and, and it's paying off. I mean, we've been careful, we've been thoughtful, uh, we, we, we've been, uh, per- with, we have done this with purpose on primary real estate with, uh, with luxury uh, and, and good quality planning in the middle of one of the most intense urban cities in Central America. Uh, true experiential luxury of the highest end type and the lowest density possible in uh, anchor, anchoring legacy and family with a vision of Mr. Pelas in Nicaragua. I think that's the thing. There's, there's working with no formulas, but really thoughtful and, and purpose uh, real estate development that is of the place. That's, that's what makes the difference. It pays off eventually, right? Well, thank you for the chance to work t- together over these years and for our partnership and for spending time with us today. No, no, and and you you guys have been incredibly helpful, and uh, there there it's easy to talk about the projects in a in a one hour podcast, but you and 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 Gaby and all have been witness to the complexity. How do you analyze them? There was not necessarily a lot of comps, you know. <laughs> That's so it's it's always been. Uh, it's, it's always been a, a challenge, but a pleasure to really work with you guys over the years on, on, on this region and, and looking forward to, to continue to do so uh, in the coming years. Likewise. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, hosted by RCLCO Real Estate Advisors. If you're interested in learning more about RCLCO, Go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at rclco. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.